Here at the Real Life Community Center, our mission is to assist individuals who have been impacted by incarceration, homelessness, who are battling addiction to overcome barriers and obstacles faced within the community to hinder their prosperity and their ability to have a thriving future. Our vision is to walk alongside our clients, to see them grow into prosperous and thriving life while highlighting the barriers associated with those exiting incarceration and overcoming addiction in order to reduce the negative stigmas and stereotypes. Everyday men and women looking for second chances and redemption walk through our doors. They are seeking hope, motivation, and skills in order to make that change. Through community partnerships and financial investments, Real Life is able to provide clients specifically with what they need, intense case management, an expected mother's program, recovery housing or housing referrals, mental health services, classes and groups, job preparation and placement, transportation assistance, substance use disorder support, educational opportunities, a clothing closet, a computer lab, and more. And most important, unconditional love and support. All donations directly support providing services to further our mission of assisting individuals who have been impacted by incarceration or homelessness or those battling a substance use disorder to overcome barriers and obstacles faced within the community that hinder their prosperity and ability to have a thriving future. If you would like to donate to Real Life Community Center, you can donate on our webpage, www.reallifeprogram.org backslash donate, or you can donate directly through the anchor.fm app or listening platform. My name is Maggie and I'm an addict. Um, I guess I'll start from the beginning. So I think that, well, at least I thought that, you know, addicts came from horrible backgrounds and horrible childhoods and um, that just wasn't the case for me. Um, I came from a wealthy family. Um, we had nannies and au pairs and, you know, just came from a good background, loving parents, um, a twin sister, a little brother. Um, so immediately, you know, I'm ad- identifying out from everyone that um, all of my friends now that are in recovery. Um, so, yeah, I guess the first major change in my life was when we moved from South Carolina, which I had lived there for 13 years, up to D.C. area. Um, and up in D.C., you know, everything is more fast-paced. The school systems are way further along. So immediately I started feeling bad about myself because I wasn't at the same place that all of these other students were. And I felt dumb and I felt not good enough and, you know, all these feelings that we feel when we're comparing ourselves to others. Um, My sister and brother grasped the um, pace of D.C. and I just didn't. Instead, I found friends who um, were down a wrong path. So, um, you know, at first I didn't do anything with them. Um, I was just focusing on school and being a friend, um, and then something traumatic happened to me at the mall one day when I was hanging out with someone that my mom told me I wasn't supposed to hang out with. Um, And I didn't tell anybody about it. I didn't tell my mom about it. I just kept it to myself. And one day somebody was talking to me about something that had happened to them that I could relate to. And she told me to tell the guidance counselor. 
And this was the first breach of trust that I experienced was I told the guidance counselor expecting it to be kept a secret. And I guess because I was underage, it had to be told to my parents. So immediately I stopped trusting people. Um, I didn't tell anybody for a couple years after that about it. Um, But the friend who I met, um, we started drinking heavily together. Um, We were drinking, smoking weed, taking pills, and um, I just headed down this downward spiral. I was drinking every day, and I was 15 at the time, and I got arrested twice in school. Um, And the second time, I was court-ordered to um, rehab, and that was my first introduction to the fact that I might have a problem. And even then, I still didn't believe it, but... You know, any 15-year-old that is drinking every day and gets quartered to rehab might have a problem. Might be something to take a look at. Um, So anyways, I get out of rehab, and um, I was clean and sober for four and a half months and met somebody going to a 12-step fellowship that introduced me to um, crack. And I was 16 at the time and started to actually believe I might have a problem at that point. Um, But it wasn't until I found my drug of choice that I really knew that I had a problem but just didn't care. Um, My drug of choice is heroin. And I started that when I was 17. Um, I used for about three years during that time. Um, I found... I was working at Hooters and somebody came up to me and was talking about doing massages with happy endings. And, you know, in my head I was like, oh, well, it's not sex. I'm not having sex for money, so, you know, that's fine. Um, So I started doing that and I was making a lot of money. Um, And I did that for about a year and a half before um, the money just wasn't enough anymore. Um, and I ended up stealing from our madame, um, and that, of course, didn't go over well. So then I had to start figuring out how to make money on my own. Um, I burned bridges with stores. I was stealing a lot, and then I decided to start hooking on my own, and at this point, I was just okay with being a prostitute, um, so I was... 18 or 19, and that's when I started selling my body for money. Um, I was posting ads on Backpage, which the madame, when we were doing massages with happy endings, had shown me how to do. So um, I started making a little bit of money. I would only do it occasionally because I was also a student in school and I had a full-time job. Um, So I just never slept. (laughs) My drug intake um progressed and um you know I flunked out of school because it's hard to maintain a heroin habit and to go to school um so I ended up missing my final exam just to get more drugs um I quit my job um well technically I got fired but I just tell myself that I quit (laughs) um and Yeah, so then I um, was just a full-time prostitute, um, decided to 
move into the city um and I was living on the streets for I guess I kind of lost track of time about how long but um I guess the I was 20 years old at the time and I guess the like thing that made me finally decide that I was ready to do something different or at least ready to stop having all these consequences happening was um my friend was murdered in front of me and um you know my friend now tells me that you know stuff happened to me then too um but for so long I've just been carrying you know what I saw um and you know she described it as it was kind of like when you're in the war and your friend dies in front of you it was a lot like that and so it's been something that I've struggled with since it happened um so when I was 20 years old I started my rehab run and I say rehab run because I went to about 20 different rehabs in that one year between 20 and 21 um I got kicked out of a lot of places I overdosed quite a few times in the rehabs I think I went to the hospital three of those times Um, I overdosed one time and everyone gave up on me except for one nurse um, because they had hit me with Narcan too many times and they just continued CPR and um, one nurse didn't give up on me and that nurse is the only reason that I'm still alive Um, at that point after my third overdose um, my mom started expecting that phone call from rehabs Um, so she started answering the phone with a panic every time a rehab would call her, and I hate that I put her through that. Um, this is definitely a family disease. Um, so after I got out of those 20 rehabs, um, I, my mom thought that I was clean, and, um, I had met a girl, and we got in a relationship, and my mom let us move into her house. Um, and I took both of them, my mom and my girlfriend, through a whirlwind. Um, I was prostituting but wasn't telling my, um, girlfriend, and, but I also had a full-time job, but I made more money hooking than at my full-time job. Um, so this was my, like, ideal life. No consequences, I thought, um... I had a girlfriend, I had a family, I was like, finally, I can use successfully with no consequences, um, but that only lasts for so long, because there's always going to be consequences, and what I was doing to myself was consequences enough, so I, um, finally got caught, um, I checked myself into a detox, and they sent my mom the bill, because I left after a couple hours, and it was a state-funded detox, but you have to pay for it if you don't stay the whole time. So my mom got a bill in the mail and was like, where is this from? And I was like, uh, I guess I've been using. Um, so she decided to send me down to Richmond. Um, by this point, my I was 90 pounds, um, and, you know, my body was shutting down. I couldn't walk. Um, the people at the rehab called me Maggie Walker, and this is all while living with my mom. Like, this wasn't even living on the streets. I was 
in a home with my mom and my body was shutting down. Um, so I detoxed, um, and, you know, ran away from that rehab two times. Um, and, you know, then finally I had reached a point where I thought I was ready to stay clean. Um, I was clean for about six months and, um, I got diagnosed with HIV. Um, when I got that news, I told nobody. I was still having a very hard time trusting anybody, therapists, friends, anybody. I wasn't working in a program because if I was, I would have called my sponsor. Um, I would have told somebody and not just kept it in. But instead, after having six months clean, I decided to go back up to D.C. and take two friends with me. Um, they stayed with me for about a week, and during that time, I was making money off of them, selling their bodies. Um, I was selling my body. They lasted about a week and then decided they weren't meant for that lifestyle because it's a dangerous lifestyle full of violence. Um, and they decided to come back to Richmond to get clean. And I stayed up there for about three more months. And during that time, my parents found out that I had HIV and they took me to dinner every single day, begging me to do something about it. And um, seeing their faces every time they saw me because my body just started getting worse and worse. I was dragging my foot at one point um, because it stopped. I stopped having feeling in it. Um, so one week they decided to let me come back to their house to try to detox on their couch and my mom was working from home and she was on a conference call when I decided to run out of the house and steal her car so she's on the phone with the people at her job and yelling at me from down the street. Um, and you know I brought her car back um, stayed out for about another week and all four all two of my hands were swollen my feet were swollen um, my money maker wasn't working anymore because um, I was raped like I guess the three days before the day I decided to get clean um, and it was too bad for me to um, make money anymore because everything was just all ripped up um, and I just, my body was shutting down. Um, so I finally decided to come back to Richmond to get clean. I came back here and um, um, I detoxed for far too long. It was like three weeks of throwing up and um, finally got sent to the hospital to get fluids um, because I was dying. Like I was a I was pale ghost because anything that I would try to swallow, I would throw up. Um, it was the most, and I was hallucinating too, um, it was the most painful and memorable experience that I have ever been through. Um, so after I finished detoxing, um, I didn't want to be clean. I just wanted my body to let me get high. Um, but I stayed clean through it and I lasted about a month before I finally was like, I'm never going back to the way I was living before. I will never do it. I will not use no matter what. Um, when I got clean, I found out I did not have HIV. 
and that the hospital made a mistake that my mom wanted to sue the hospital for, but you can't really sue a hospital. Um, and I um, started doing what the people were telling me to do, um, the people in my house, um, the people in recovery, everyone was telling me to do all these things and I would start to feel better. And I was at a point where I was so broken that I was ready to do anything to feel better. Um, so I started doing, I started working the program of the 12 steps and it was, it has been like a amazing ride. Um, I was a part-time dishwasher when I first got clean making minimum wage and now I'm the manager at a um, pet store. I have got my license back. I um, decided that I was ready to move out of a recovery house and now I'm um, living with a bunch of friends with over a year clean and soon I'm gonna be buying a house. Um, I can look at myself in the mirror and be like happy with the person that I'm becoming. Um, and the self-love that I've gained and the connection with my higher power and knowing that like through this whole journey everything has happened exactly how it's supposed to happen um, I wouldn't change it for the world despite all of the pain and heartache that I've been through um, through my addiction and all the pain and heartache that my family has been through um, I've been clean since May 5th 2016 and I have my family back and I have friends that actually care about me and I couldn't ask for anything to be different than the than how my life is right now. Um, if you feel like you're not ready to be clean, um, you know, every day is a bonus day. It's not guaranteed. So why not try today? Um, I'm so grateful that through that month that I didn't want to be clean this last time I stuck it out because now I have over two years clean. Um, so don't give up and keep coming back.